Amen. Thank you, Brother Dan. We are going to be this morning in Second Kings chapter 5. And sometimes as I'm looking at God's Word, I'll think, boy, what, what amazing people. But the truth is there are no amazing people. We have an amazing God. And I think today's story reinforces that fact about God being amazing. Our title this morning is to trust and obey. Our, fam- our, our family theme <clears throat> is to simply humbly obey God. Our objective, of course, is to choose to obey God because obedience certainly is a choice. And we, even when it doesn't make sense, obeying God when it doesn't make sense. How many know it's easy to obey God when it makes sense to us? Now, here's the strange thing, and I think even our court may have pointed this out. What right do we have to gauge whether it makes sense or not? We don't have any, do we? But yeah, you know. So, again, trusting God when it doesn't make sense. We all be in 2 Kings 5, verses 1 through 27. Three key truths today. Number one, God can use anyone to accomplish his will. So my question is, is that true? Sure it is. We'll find an example today. Second key truth. God's methods are best even when they seem strange to us. Now, you know, I think about that. And you remember the time when uh, God told Joshua to go in and march around that walls of Jericho? That's kind of strange, wasn't it? And especially for Joshua being a military leader. But still yet, God's methods are best. Third key truth. As believers, we have to be careful and guard against greed. Okay, our Bible basics today, we get a little bit, a little bit more difficult. We're in the Old Testament, of course. And uh, we are asked to memorize the names and order of the books and verses, uh, books 23 through 27. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have them listed in my mind that way, okay? So let me help you out here. We'll begin with Isaiah. That's number 23, according to our list. Who's next? Jeremiah. Lamentations. Now, let me give you a hint. If you can get Jeremiah, remember Jeremiah wrote Lamentations too, okay? So, kind of throw that in there. Then you got Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. All right, those are books number 23 through 27. Uh, now, again, I'm thinking, that I didn't count it myself. That's what they're telling me on our list here. So, where does this story fit in the overall uh, lesson of the Bible? Now, by the way, to me, this is... Well, this is the most amazing book ever written. Now, I know it was written by man, but it's also authored by God. Because throughout the whole word, there's a scarlet thread that runs all the way through. And everything just comes together. And so it, it, it has to be God-breathed. Man couldn't do that on his own. So where does it fit in the overall story of the Bible? Well, the events that's taking place here, again, are after the kingdom are divided. You have the northern kingdom, Israel, the southern kingdom, Judah. This took place after the reign of David and Solomon. And what takes place here in 2 Kings 5 is around uh, 835 B.C. And it shows us that God wants to be the people of all people, not just the Jews. Now remember, God so loved who? The world, which means what, Dan? Everyone. So God desires to be the God of all people. Now, let's go ahead and do where I get started this morning. Um, I have never been in the military. Dan, I know you have. 
you have. Anybody else? I, I couldn't think of anybody else. Uh, so help me out, guys. Is there a thing called a chain of command? What does that mean, Wayne? Okay. Would you agree with that, Dan? Dan, is that important? Does that affect people? Oh, okay. All right. So now, um, what if you decide to get out of step with that in your military? You're in trouble. <laughs> Maybe that's putting it mildly, huh? Like, oh, do they really look down on that? Oh, okay. Do they let you know that? Okay. Certainly, certainly, you know that that is true. Now, again, uh, not being in the military, but I can, I think I can at least make this. Uh, if if I'm in, in the military or anyone, if you're a subordinate, are you expected to obey the command of superior officers? Uh, do you ask them to explain it to you? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, you were expected to obey. So my question would be, and whether we serve in God or in the military, how effective would our military be, whatever division it is, if they had to fully understand the orders they were given? Why you say that, Dan? Oh, okay. Would you agree with that, Wayne? Yeah, I like that. And, and again, because you, know, you think about this, and I'm assuming there were others who got together, military heads, who said, hey, here's the best process to do it. And they've, they've you know, kind of ironed it all out and answered the question, looked at the uh, objectives and the pros and the cons, and said, hey, you know, so here's what we're going to do. And like you said, if you spend all your time understanding it, nothing is going to get done. So, if you're in the military and your superior gives you an order, what are you expected to do? Just follow the order. Don't ask questions. But wait a minute, Wayne. What if you don't understand it? <laughs> Still follow, right? Still follow that order. Now, today we're going to see a commander who almost missed the opportunity of his life almost missed coming to know God and receiving a blessing because he didn't understand the instructions that God had given through Elisha. I love this story today. It's, a, it's an amazing story. Again, an amazing God. And we have to understand, uh, we're looking today in this story. Uh, this guy's a commander. He's a uh, one of the high commanders for the king. So we're talking about king commanders here. But it's interesting, in this story, we're going to find out that God used an unnamed slave girl. Think about that. And, you know, I don't know how many times I've read this story, and but this week going through it, it just dawned on me, we don't even know this girl's name. I wonder, did God know who she was? Sure he did. And God uses this 
unnamed servant girl. He also gives some strange instructions to Elisha. We'll talk more to that in a moment. But the whole point is this. Now remember, God's in control here. God's desire is to point a pagan commander to himself. Now, this commander, we're going to find out, was Syrian. And the Syrians were people who were uh, kind of vagabonds for a lot of, a long time. They moved with the livestock. They would live in small villages. Uh, but, but finally, they began to build cities in Syria. And throughout their existence there, between Israel and Syria, there were times of peace and, of course, times of conflict. But normally, they were usually... On a, military as well as economic rivals with the nation of Israel. But they also had some times where they cooperated. What's also interesting, uh, the language of the Syrians was Aramaic, and uh, that was a lot, uh, became the language of the region, if you will. And, and by the way, in the time that, that Jesus was here on this earth, most Jews spake Aramaic. In fact, you remember when, G, when they put the sign over the cross? This is the king of the Jews. What language did they write that in? Three languages. And Aramaic was one of them. Yes, indeed. Because it was a very well-known language. All right, let's go to 2 Kings 5. Let's pick the narrative up in verse 1, verses 1 through 8. We're going to find out that God can use anyone, and I mean anyone, to accomplish his will. Anybody want to read that?
Okay, thank you, Dan. Uh, let's, let's talk about this a little bit. Um, interesting story. So uh, what's going on here? We have a king. We have a commander. What's the problem? Okay. I find it kind of interesting. Uh, the Bible describes this fella. Uh, give him a name, Naaman. He's, if there was such a thing, probably a four-star general at that time. He was high in command. He was considered a great man with the king. He was very honorable. And he had won a, a lot of military victories and, and allowed Syria to maintain independence. A lot of accolades there. He's also a very mighty man in battle, the Bible says. But then it says what? A leper. What's, what's your thought on that? Yeah, yeah, that's it, man. And uh, I was, you know, trying to do a little bit of word study on this, and I noticed uh, in the King James, it, it italicizes, but he was. So that's been added by the translators. And it doesn't mean it's wrong. It helps clarify it. But whether it's the word but or just the word leper, would you agree that those few words or even the word leper Kind of puts a, a damper on everything else. Like you said, Jordan. And it certainly it was in his case. Now, and we're just, you know, this is sort of subjective, but what would you think more than anything else Naaman wanted? Say it again, Cheryl. To be healed of that leprosy. I think he would have traded some of the other bragging. Now, again, certainly he earned, evidently, from, from his different exploits, whatever he did there. But he was a leper. And then almost as a parenthesis, we're given some, back, uh, some background information. The series have gone out. And, and again, evidently at this point in time in history, when Second Kings 5, is, there's some relatively peace between Syria, the Syrians, and uh, Israel, but it hadn't always been that way, because according to what our text says, there was a time they went out and they brought a little girl back as captive. And who did she serve? Ah, Naaman's wife. Coincidence? No. Cheryl, we were talking about the hand of God before. I see the hand of God here, don't you? The hand of God. Because what did God know? He knew Naaman's heart. And he, God wanted Naaman to know the God of Israel as well. But anyway, she had come. And she waited on the commander's wife. Now think about this. Now by the way, uh, leprosy, the word in the Bible, 
could mean a variety of diseases, uh, and including even more than what we call today as Hansen's disease. Uh, but leprosy uh, involves a lot of skin disorders. It could be uh, psoriasis. Uh, in fact, if you read uh, the Old Testament during the uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers era, uh, even houses could get leprosy. And uh, you remember the time when the lepers came to Jesus and he healed them. What did he tell them to do immediately? Go see the priest. Because only the priest could pronounce someone clean. There was a process. So it was very, uh, very common in that time. It could be mildew or epirepis, uh, sometimes in stone walls. Uh, there was a, a process of that, testing that. Uh, some vessels could get it. And depending on what they were, uh, some had to be destroyed. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't be used or repaired. It couldn't be uh, uh, taken care of. But no matter where it was, what it was, or who it was, if it involved leprosy, it involved the priest as well. They were the ones to make that determination. Also understand, uh, if you were a leper in, in Israel, you were considered unclean. Now, again, let me make sure we understand that uh, in the context. Uh, it doesn't mean you were, uh, how should I put it, you never took a bath, you didn't groom yourself. It meant ceremonially unclean. You could not attend any worship services. You couldn't go uh, to the temple. You couldn't, you couldn't do any of that. Uh, and so you were blocked from that. But also lepers were required to live outside of the community because if, if they come into contact with anyone, then that person would be made unclean for a period of time as well. So, again, uh, that part would not have been much of an issue for Naaman as it would be for Israel. Uh, but certainly it had to be debilitating to him to have that disease of leprosy. Could have brought him severe pain, discomfort, but nonetheless, at that time, in that day, leprosy was considered incurable. Now, it's kind of interesting. All right, now we've got a slave girl. What's her attitude? I mean, you ever thought about that? I mean, look, what, what do you think her attitude is? You what now? Yeah, evidently not. Now, there was a lot of, our study guide gave some suggestions. Why, Cheryl, why do you think she didn't resent them? Oh, yeah. Now, to me, if that were me and I didn't like him, I could care less. Wouldn't you agree? In fact, I hope he would die. He captured me or whatever. Uh, well, now he probably didn't care, but somebody did. But that wasn't her attitude. And also, uh, could be she had it better there than she did where she was at. She would maybe better fed. I remember years ago, I was talking to Brother Adam Petrie. And uh, he said when he was in high school, his and I, well, he was still in high school, I guess, and hadn't turned 16 yet. And his dad became disabled, and he had a rather large family, so he tried to get into the three C's. And even when he was a year young to get in, his dad knew a judge, and he was able to get in. And I said, well, Adam, I said, man, if you're 15 years old, what do you think about that? He said, I loved it. For the first time in my life, I had a pair of shoes. I had three meals a day, you know, and, and, and then other opportunities as well. But 
So maybe that's what it was, the servant girl. She had it a lot better there as that servant girl than she did back home. But it's interesting is this. I still believe God placed her there. Don't you? I believe that God also had shaped her character. And like you said, Cheryl, she had a genuine concern for her master. Uh, actually, for her master's husband, I guess, because she served uh, Naaman's wife. And so she said, boy, I, I just wish. I, I, I just wish he was where Elisha was. Because what did what did servant girl believe? That Elisha could heal Naaman. So word comes to Naaman. And really, this girl wants him to see how great the God of Israel is. Whatever the reason, she told her, the one she was serving, her mistress. And, of course, she told her husband. And evidently, Naaman goes to speak with the king. Telling the king what this servant girl had said. So what's the king do? What's he do when he hears the news? Ah, he writes the letter to the king of Israel. Kings do that, don't they? They're corresponding here. He needs a favor. <laughs> now, he also sends a letter and he sends some gifts. What do you think that was for? Yeah. Yeah. Get what, I, you know, what he's asking for. A little bit of uh, scratching your back. I'll scratch, you know, scratch mine, I'll scratch yours. A little bit of uh, diplomacy there. So again, uh, they're getting along right now to, the, to some degree. But my question is this. The king is writing the letter. Name and go speak to the king. King writes the letter. But who sets... Now I know God's awfully... But who does God use to put this event in motion? Ah, that little girl. What's her name, Jordan? We don't know. We don't know. But God uses her. And folks, I, I don't think we'd have picked her. And of anyone in Syria, we would have never chosen her. So I guess if God's going to use somebody, he has to look at their qualifications and he has to look at their limitations. Does that count in God's eyes? No. God doesn't consider those things. Not at all. The only thing that's required of a person, and this is so good, the only thing required of a person to accomplish the will of God is to love God, be available, be obedient to doing the things that God asks us to do. Now, I have to tell you, I, I've been, well, um, in our uh, November fasting from the Freeville Baptist, uh, part of our daily re regiment, uh, regime, however you want to say, is reading Psalm 139. Love that psalm. 
But in that psalm, toward the end of it, is what we call a precatory prayer. Where, and I'll paraphrase, David says, God, zap your enemies. Uh, you know, kill them. And uh, those are called precatory prayers. And yet, you get to the New Testament, and Jesus says, what, were, what should we do for our enemies? Love them. Pray for them. And uh, I've been asked, I've been struggling all week. Lord, how do I put that together? They don't fit, right? I'll come up with it. Don't worry. I'm going to search God's Word. But we have to understand something. Too many times, and this servant girl didn't, but too many times we find ourselves almost being gleeful when our enemies are having trouble. But not her. Now, keep in mind, I believe that our faith in Christ should have just as much effect on our attitude as anything else. Now, also it's interesting, when Peter wrote his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, he gave the example how that when they reviled Christ, he didn't revile back. And if anybody had it right to, who did? He did. But he didn't. And what's interesting, he didn't do that because Peter says he trusted himself to the world's righteous judge, which is God himself. Now, let me remind you, folks, if we are out for revenge or even to bring evil on our enemies, it may be a strong indicator that we haven't fully entrusted ourselves to the Lord. So this servant girl, she is the catalyst here that gets the ball moving. The king of Syria sends a letter along with some gifts to the king of Israel. And how does the king of Israel respond? What's his reaction? Yeah, kind of, I'd say so, all right. What's he thinking? Was he right? Sure he was right. He understood that. You know, wow, he's dismayed here. Come on. Am I God? What's the answer? No. And by the way, a lot of kings in that culture believed they were God or a God. So, wow, this guy's well, he's he's taken aback by this. So in his mind, his wheels are turning. Uh, Why is it we tend to think the negative before we think the positive? I I read this and I thought about the time when Joseph's brothers went back to Egypt to get food. And they got back home when the money was in their sacks. What did did Jacob think? This is it. We've had it. This is is bad. That's not always so. We always tend to think the negative. So this king of Israel said, wow, this guy think I'm God? So the king of Israel thinks what about the king of Syria now? Yeah, amen, yeah. We've had, we've had a relatively a period of peace here. You know, we kind of get along. And now he's found a reason to get me. Now, again... 
this king of Israel, is thinking, if I don't do this, there'll be what? Consequences. Yeah. So he's concerned about that. Now, what this king doesn't understand, God's at work here. And he's trying to respond, if you will, to what has been set in motion by this young maiden. And what's interesting, I don't think the king of Israel maybe knew he, she existed. But God was using her. But also... He's going to have to rely on a prophet that the king of Israel didn't even respect. How many know God has a sense of humor? Isn't that true? Uh, God has a way of having the final word here. Now, I don't know how all this played out, okay? We're not given a lot of details. All we know is that somehow and some way, Elisha, the man of God, heard about it. I don't know whether the king of Israel got so frightened. Uh, he began to rack his brain and thought, well, this is my last resort. <laughs> but Elisha, he hears about it, whatever he does, and he sends word to the king. Now, you got, you got to like this. you got, you got to love this, okay? Uh, and we're going to see how this is going to play out here. He doesn't go himself, right? He just sends word to the king. And he says, just send the Syrian man to me. And he says, send him to me so Naaman will know for sure there was a prophet of the true and living God in Israel. Let's apply it. The key is giving ourselves to God. Every day. And watch for opportunities to be used by him. So my question is, how can we be ready at all times for God to use us? How can we be ready for God to use us? By doing what? Oh, yes. And I would suggest if we're going to listen to the Holy Spirit, we've got to maintain a close walk with Him. Isn't that true? Spend time in God's Word getting direction from God. Um, in fact, remember in Isaiah chapter 6, when the Lord said, Whom shall I send? What did Isaiah say? Huh? Yeah, send me. Here I am. Just make ourselves available. So number one, God can use anyone, anyone, even a little servant girl, to accomplish the will. Number two, God's methods are best even when they seem strange to us. Will somebody read verses 9 through 14, please?
Wow, what a story, huh? So, the king of Syria writes a letter to the king of Israel. The king of Israel is beside himself. Elisha hears of it, says, send him to me. So, the king sends Naaman to Elisha's house. Now, how do you think this, uh, how do you think Naaman, Naaman traveled? What kind of entourage? Remember who he was. I'd say so, wouldn't you? I mean, he's literally second in command of Syria. And so, what a what a pompous display it must have been. So he comes with his horses and chariots. <laughs> and he comes to the house of Elisha. What What happens? Say it now what? <laughs> yeah, I, I, again, I know there's those on watching online, but you're right, sure. He wanted to he, he expected to run out and just fall down and everybody, you know. Uh, quite a few years ago, Brother Ken Holland used to own a Philly station down um Norwood, Oakley area. And uh, he said one day, Bob Braun come in there to get gas. And of course, Ken said, I recognize him. But he said, I act like I didn't. <laughs> and he said, and Bob Brown was a nice guy, by the way. Even Ken, Ken Holland says so. But he said, he tried everything in the world. Don't you know who I am? No. And again, Ken was just kind of leading him on there, you know. And I, I picture name now again, Bob I've heard that Bob Brown was a nice guy. I don't they know him personally, but again, but anyway. Anyhow, so Naaman goes there, he's outside this guy's house, and what's the least he expects for Elisha to do? Come out. But he doesn't. He doesn't even come out. He sends a messenger. Did it hurt Naaman's feelings? He had to know it did. Anyway, and the messenger says, Elisha says, go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times and you will be clean. What kind of magic water was in that river? Say it again. None. <laughs> go dip seven times. Now, now think about this. Um, Jordan, you read it there in verse 12. What, what was his response? Name his response. We've got better rivers in, in Syria, right? we got two of the best rivers. They're clean. So look what it says in verse 12. He turned and went away in a rage. So I question, how close did he come missing God's blessing? Very close. But remember, God had a mission. And he had some servants a little bit wiser than he was. At least they weren't so miffed. And they take Naaman aside, and what do they tell him? Yeah. Yeah, 
You'd have done that. I, I remember the story. Remember uh, David, when he went with one of Saul's wife, he had to bring Saul a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Meaning what? You got to kill him. A great feat. And they said, look, Naaman, all he asked you to do is dip in that river. Now, folks, you have to love Elisha here. He didn't even come out. So he says, all the guy tells you is, you don't need to go kill uh, a thousand people who are enemies. You don't need to roll a nickel down the hallway with your nose. All you have to do is wash and be clean. So simple. So at least Naaman listens. He goes down. He dips himself seven times in the Jordan. And what happens? He was cured. He was cured. Now we need to understand something here. I think first of all, Elisha wanted the name to know it's not about Elisha, it's about who? It's about God. And really, if God, Jordan, you read a moment ago, I don't want to keep hitting on it, but the two rivers there in Syria, could God have chosen those two rivers? He used them? Sure he could have. Could have chosen any of them. But the key here is simply being obedient to God. Now remember, it wasn't contingent on any ritual or any practice. All Naaman needed to do was obey what God had said. And God could have chosen anything, any kind of instructions. But what mattered, what made the difference was whether or not Naaman was going to obey God. Somebody once said, nothing succeeds like success, but in God's world, nothing succeeds like obedience. That's the key to victory in our lives. And that was a key to Naaman's healing. Uh, do you think Naaman had to swallow before he went to that river? Swallow what? His pride. Yeah. Isn't that hard to do? Huh? I mean, something that almost chokes us, doesn't it? But he had to swallow his pride. And folks, there are times in our lives we've got to follow our pride, swallow our pride, and simply follow the Lord. Oh, sure it was. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know who I am? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think when the Bible left in a rage, that's putting it mildly. You know, yeah, it was hard for him swallow. So what's interesting is we're reminded that when God healed Naaman, it showed us again God is a sovereign Lord over all things. Let's apply it. Trust and obey God even when His commands make no sense.
Let's go ahead and read the last section, the, the third key truth. Number one, God can use anybody to accomplish his will. Number two, God's methods are the best, even we don't understand or they seem strange. Number three, believers must guard against greed. Anybody want to read verses 15 through 27, please? Thank you, Alice. Did Naaman's view of Elisha change? Yeah. Instantly. He realized there's only one God, and that's the God of Israel. And he begged Elisha to take some gifts. Elisha said no. Now, Elisha could have used them, no doubt about it. They were still the school of the prophets that needed taken care of. They were needy people. And uh, even for himself, to help him, but he refused. Now, I, uh, I did some little bit of research on that. And Naaman brought about 
almost $300,000 worth of silver in today's money. <laughs> he brought $3,400,000 worth of gold in today's money. But I'm just trying to show you, even that day had to be a great thing. And Elisha said, no. So kind of strange, Naaman said, well, give me something. What do you ask for? Some dirt. Because they believed that you worshipped the ground where the gods were. Now, what's interesting, he said, you know, only God, there's only one God, and he's your God. He's my God now. And all I'm asking you to ask God to pardon me whenever I have to go with my king in ritual worship. Saying, I don't want to do it. I know it's wrong, but I have to. Now, you've got to love what Elisha, he didn't give him a sermon. He realized, here's a man who's growing his faith. He simply says, go in peace. So, Naaman leaves. How much time I got left, Jason? Okay, we'll hurry. The servant, Gehazi, what's his plan? Ah, get some of that money. You don't want all of it. I mean, he, his point is, he said, I can't believe he let this Syrian go back and not leave anything. So he goes, runs him down, and evidently the uh, Naaman hadn't gone too far. And what's he tell Naaman? Tells him a lie, doesn't he? He says, there's two prophets have come to my master. And, you know, they need some money. They need some clothing. So at least give me one talent of, of money and two chains of clothing. Well, Naaman said, no, we're not going to do that. you got two guys. We'll give you two of each. And he has his servants carry it back. Elisha is home. Does he know what's going on? Yeah, he does. So the servant, Elisha, goes home. I'm sorry. Gehazi goes back home. Elisha knows what's going on. He hides the stuff. He comes in the house kind of twiddling his thumbs and whistling. Great day in the universe, you know. And Elisha says, where you been? What did Gehazi say? Huh? I've been nowhere. Yeah, you have. And he says, is it time for us to take money? Is it time to gain wealth? Elijah said, you know, it's time to glorify God. And because you haven't, not only will you be struck with leprosy, but all your generations. What an awful, awful thing greed can be. We've got to guard against greed. Let's stand together. Next week, we're going to look at the youngest king in Israel, okay, who became king at the youngest age. And so we'll be in a book of Second Kings again. Let me make sure I got the chapter down right. And we'll be in chapter 22. Uh, yes, we will be in chapter 22 and part of chapter 23. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the example of a servant girl who is willing to be obedient to you and available. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.